welcome to the Taney Love Church Podcast. Our desire is to gather, train, and send those who are called to the kingdom. We hope this message inspires, uplifts, and equips you to fulfill the call that God has placed in your life. Thanks again. God bless. Psalms 37.4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, I, I know I can lose people here. Because people really get frustrated about prosperity gospel. Listen. Shut up. It's in the Bible. What do you want me to do? You understand what I'm saying? Like, I, I can't argue with scripture. You understand what I'm saying? It, it is not the end goal. This is what God's trying to say. Your things, the things you desire, the, the good things, that the, even stuff that you don't even, even stuff you just like. I don't need this jacket. I like it. Someone gave me money and I bought a jacket. I think it looks okay. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's all right. These shoes, same thing. I don't need these shoes. I like them. Yeah, it looks, I look better. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Take a look. So, so what I'm saying is, is this is this this is not a bad thing. It's a good thing because it's something that re- I represent God. It's something that I enjoy. It gives me confidence to have nice clothes. None of those things are bad. You know, it's it's nice to feel like you look good. It's nice to look in the mirror and go, okay, that's all right. That's all right. It's not so good to look in the mirror and go, hey, that's not so good. That's not so good. I've had a few of those moments. But what what does God want you? To have in Matthew 6 8 it says the Lord knows what you need before you ask before you what so do you need to ask but does he know so so much of our existence is focusing on our needs what happens is the enemy wants I I talked about this before the enemy wants us to become so aware of us that we get into idolatry and worshiping ourselves you understand where we become the center focus I've talked about this in identity I've talked about this in growing up I've talked about making ourselves the center focus and how it's not right but the thing we have to understand is oh Lord help me (laughs) the thing the thing that we have to understand is that it's already been done it's already been promised it's something that we have access through through our citizenship so why do I why ask this question because if you're not thinking about it you'll never get it you understand what I'm saying I'm not saying I want to limit God but what moves God faith thank you three people what moves God is it, can you please God without faith? Are you sure? How do you know? Because the Bible says so. Great, great answer, church. <laughs> I like that answer. It is impossible to please God without faith. So putting things on the forefront of our mind, especially those things that he's promised us, he has promised it to us. How, how is it that you are allowed to be healed? Because, he, because of what Jesus Christ did. It was promised to us, right? We have access to it because of what Jesus did. Okay? Who became sick so you could become healthy? Okay. Who became depressed so you could be joyful? Who became poor so you could become rich? Same Jesus. Right? Who took your punishment and damnation so you could live righteously? Jesus. Okay? Same guy. Same dude. 
Okay? He, he did it all already for us. The reason why it's important to put things on our mind is the word says that without vision, you will perish. Perish. Now, understand this. That doesn't mean immediate. It's, it's, an, it's an erosion over time. And this is the game that the enemy plays all the time. He would like to take you out now. He can't. I'm going to say that again. He would like to take you out now. He can't. Do you understand that he, he literally cannot? His hands are tied. But what he can do is he can use your thoughts and your words to slowly erode your existence into nothingness. So we have to keep these promises on the forefront of our mind. In 3 John it says, I pray that you would prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. I looked up this word prosper or prosperity. You guys know what it means? says the condition of being successful or thriving with an emphasis on economics. So it's, it's, it's everything that encompasses you. See, God not only understands that you have a call in your life, he's placed it there. And he understands that that call will require things. Why? Because we live in a things world. He has no problem with you having things and stuff especially if you're using those things and stuff to do what he's asked you to do. And part of what he's asked you to do is be a light, to be an example. I'm not even talking about being in full-time ministry. Jesse and Chris are parents. That's a, they have kids, a few of them. And they are, have awesome kids, but it's not always easy, right? It takes things, time, energy. You got to feed them kids. I mean, at least you're supposed to. Otherwise, like, you can get in trouble. Kids, do you like eating? Uh, there you go. I got a good, honest answer. You got, you got to put clothes on them, right? School doesn't like it if your kids show up without clothes on. That's not a good thing. It takes things to, to just be. You understand that, right? Just being on this earth, it takes stuff. It's, stuff isn't evil. It's the heart that positions it. You understand? So what does God want you to have? In Galatians 3, 13 and 14, I'll paraphrase, it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. In the last part of 14, it says, so that we may receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now, when I say Spirit, most people think the Holy Spirit, which you're right. It does, it's, but that's not all that the Spirit is. The Spirit is actually the, oh, how do I say this the right way? The Spirit is actually the vessel that brings all of the promise to you. You understand? So when he says, so that you may receive the promised spirit through faith, that's everything that comes to you through what Jesus Christ did. Jesus said, I have to go away so one greater than I can come. Who said that? Jesus. Who said it? Jesus. So is there, was there one greater than Jesus? Jesus? There was for us. It was the Holy Spirit. He said, I have to go so one greater can come. It, it, it says Christ Jesus, when he died, redeemed us from the curse of the law. If you want to know what the curse of the law is, write this down. It's Deuteronomy 28, 15 through 68. Okay? Deuteronomy 15 through 68, you should highlight in your Bible and say, not for me, underline, exclamation point. Because Christ, if you want to see what is for you, it's 1 through 14. Okay? 
So it says that Christ, through what he did, redeemed us from the curse of the loss. And then the end of 14 says, so that we may receive the promise of the Holy Spirit through faith. So everything we were given direct access to through the Holy Spirit by faith, which means we believe in what was said, which is why we need to know what God, what the Lord wants us to have. How do we find out? The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. No one? Okay, just me. Okay. Well, thank you, Ben. I heard a mumble back over there, so I think that was Ben. These microphones have to be away from me. <laughs> I am too Italian to have things that fall around my vicinity. Okay, we're just going to kick this one here, and we're going to pretend that that didn't happen. So, so what does God want us to have? It's important to understand because when we give, we're supposed to give joyfully and in faith. Faith in what? Faith in that the promises of God will be fulfilled in our lives. It's not the sole purpose of our existence, but it, He sponsors our existence. You understand what I'm saying here, right? It's not, we're, not, we're not giving so that we can get things. We're giving to be in relationship and covenant with God. And as we are in relationship and covenant with God, He will take care of us. He says He will give you the desires of your heart. I just read the scripture. Do you know what the desires of your heart are? Where's your vision at? What are you looking at? What's before you? If, if the first thing that comes out of your mouth when I meet you or when we talk is like negative things, your heart is postured on what's going on, not where God has placed you, not what his promise is. I, you understand what I'm saying? I, I, I'm not saying like don't come at me with your negative junk. I'm not saying let's not get in a position where we can pray and believe, but, but what is your heart postured and what does God want you to have? I'm telling you it's in this book. It's in this book. You need to know it. And you need to lay hold of it. So when we give, we can give in faith and joyfully. Not, it's so important to know this thing because if you don't know, you're going to give. And you're, I can promise you, you may be excited one week, but you can't be excited all the time when you think you're just losing money. I've said this before. I don't, I don't want your grudge money. You understand what I'm saying? It does me no good. I want you to give in faith. I want you to give understanding the covenant and relationship you have with Jesus. Understanding the promises that he had. That's why I asked the question, what does God want you to have? Do you know the answer to that question? If, if it's a little bit, that's a start. But it's important to know what he has promised us so that we know what we get through our citizenship. Like I said, you have the freedom of speech as an American citizen, right? Do you have the right to exercise that? Yeah. Can you choose not to? Right? We have, we have freedoms and rights given to us in our Constitution. Does that mean you... you how, how do you operate in those rights? By acting upon them. Does that make sense? Okay. If you want to act upon the Second Amendment, you need to have a gun. Okay, don't just clip that, me saying you need to have a gun. Okay, <laughs> take the whole sentence. Do as the Lord directs. It's perfectly fine. But you can't just say, I'm practicing the Second Amendment and not have a firearm. You understand what I'm saying? You can't say, I'm exercising the freedom of speech and then say nothing. Then you're not. Those rights are given to you via access of the Constitution. You have the ability to operate through them. This is no different. In fact, I wonder if that's where they got it from. We were given rights by our citizenship when we became born again. 
We've been talking about identity through righteousness for, I don't know, six weeks now. What that righteousness gives us access to, this is one of those things. We need to know what God says about this. What does God want you to have? Not what does he allow you to have. Understand the difference in my wording there. Not what he'll allow, what he, he desires you to have. What he wants you to have. He's not just like, okay, that's fine, you can have that. He actually desires for you to be wealthy and in health. Wealthy, not just financially, physically, emotionally, spiritually, all that you are, all that makes that is your makeup to be doing well. One of the reasons is because you're supposed to evangelize. One of the reasons is you're supposed to be an example to those around you. Listen, poor people don't need your poor butt coming to them and telling them about Jesus. Yeah, we're poor, but at least you got Jesus, so we're one better than you are. That does not minister to anyone. You'll be poor here on earth, but at least when you die, you get to meet Jesus. I realize that I'm being a little bit harsh this morning, but how much more would it be if we could go help someone, bless them, pray them, take care of them, and say, I have all of this because of Jesus. I have all this because of Jesus. What does God want you to have? Amen? Amen. Well, if you want to give this morning, if the Lord has put it on your heart, you can, you can be free to do so. Um, we have our full-time usher, our box over there. His name is Melchizedek. He's very faithful. He is very good at receiving tithes and offerings. So you can go put it over there at any time during service. You can go to www.tannylovechurch.com give, and you can give there as well. So go do as the Lord directs. I want to cover a couple projects here. Let me pull up my notes. I know I put them somewhere. Bear with me. Um, yeah, I found it. I found it. So our project, our operations fund, I don't think I gave you the slide, London. That's my fault, baby. I'll just tell everyone. So our operations fund, we are at 1.26 to 1. So more came in than what was needed. Praise God. He is so faithful to us. That's the first announcement. The second one is this. Um, the does anyone know Dustin and Annalisa Barker? They are great friends of this ministry. You met them through the Spirit Wind Conference. So uh, week of increase is not this week, but the following. And so I asked Dustin if he would come and preach here next Sunday, and he said absolutely. So next Sunday, please come bring friends and family. Dustin is a dear, dear friend of mine. Uh, they're actually going to be staying out in the pastor's house on our property for us. We just want to bless them and love on them. So come next week and hear him preach. He is, he's really excited about being here. He might share some of his testimony, but God's moved him from one state to the other and just really started to blow the doors off on his ministry. So we're excited to be able to be a blessing to him. Amen? Amen. I have one, one more thing to cover, and if you'll bear with me, I want to take just a couple minutes to do that because it's important. So um, Becky and I, since being senior pastors over this church and the previous church, have never taken any form of salary. That There's nothing wrong with that. We just have never done that because we weren't ever in a position to do so. Um, and I actually have to repent a little bit because I have been, I wouldn't say fighting this, but I really have been so focused on getting the church healthy and strong. And I probably took on a little bit more than that than I needed to because I know that the Lord is the source in our supply. But uh, the Lord actually started talking to me about looking at this uh, three or four months ago, and I didn't say anything to anyone. Um, 
Actually, funny thing later on, I found out Ben, the Lord told Ben almost the same time he told me, but he told you not to say anything to anyone. So the Lord was putting it all on me. And I, when the Lord brought this to me, I wanted scripture for it. And so um, I'm going to share some scriptures with you, and then I'll tell you exactly what the Lord instructed us to do. Um, and we'll just, I want you to write these down so you can go back. It's already 11:15, and I haven't even hit my main message yet. So I'm just going to give you some points here, and I just want to spend a few minutes, and then we'll go from there. The first one is in 1 Corinthians 9, uh, 7 through 14, London. So if you'll pull this up, 1 Corinthians 9, 7 through 14, I just want to read this um, quickly uh, and with the right time frame. I'm trying to be fast, but I'm trying to do it right. Does that make sense? Is this okay so far? Uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 7 through 14. That's 2 Corinthians. I knew that didn't look right. If you have it, say, I have it. One person. Great, we'll wait. Glenn, you have it up on the screen? She's getting there. 9, 7 through 14. All right, it says, Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruits? Or who tends flock without who tends the flock without getting some of the milk? They're getting it back there. Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. It is for the oxen that God is concerned. Does does he not certainly speak uh, for our sakes? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope that the thresher thresh in hope, sharing in the crops. Those that do the work in the field should eat from it. Make sense? If we, 11, if we have sown spiritual things among you, is, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If someone has spoken into your life spiritually, shouldn't they, shouldn't, shouldn't they be allowed to be compensated for that? Does that make sense? Compensation, I don't like that word, but I haven't found a better one for it. Okay. If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Those who proclaim the gospel, say this, say those who proclaim the gospel should get their living from the gospel. Second one is in, in Galatians 6, 6 through 10, and I'll just reference this. It says to do good to those who are in the household of faith. These are the two verses that actually the Lord gave to Ben. It's two scriptures that I've known when it comes to this. But I want to share the verse that God gave me because I'm not necessarily a stubborn man, but I'm not also not stubborn when it comes to certain things, if that makes sense. So I really asked the Lord, God, I need a scripture for this. What is your, what is your vision for me? And the Lord directed Becky and then myself to read the book, of Nehemiah. Has anyone ever read Nehemiah? Yeah, a couple of times. It is awesome. That dude was just a straight up gangster. Okay. <laughs> Quick synopsis Nehemiah was not a royal dude, he was a cupbearer in the king's house. But he had such a love for his nation when he found out 
when, when people started being able to come back to Israel, and he, but he found out that the temple was in dismay, it hurt his heart. And he had favor with the king, and he asked the king, can I go to my people? And the king said, yeah, absolutely. So the first 12 chapters is Nehemiah going back and building the wall and building back up the temple. And he had such favor with the people that they kind of made him like, temple manager, that's me using that word, like he just instructed everyone what to do, and he put people in place at the temple in their operation to do what they were supposed to do, from music to the priest to everything. He, he kind of managed everything, and he set it up, and then he went back to the king, okay? So this is in, in chapter 13, and uh, I want you to read this whole chapter when you can, but for time's sake, I'm going to start in verse 10, and, and quickly what had happened was while he was away, the people he put in charge didn't have the same fervor that Nehemiah did. And actually the guy that was in charge took stuff out of the store. The storeroom was where they were supposed to bring like the stuff for the priests to eat and to drink off of. And he like let his buddy live there. He's like, hey, we got this room in the back of the temple. No one's using it right now. Why don't you throw yourself a cot in there? It'll be just fine. So when Nehemiah gets there, uh, he was pretty upset about this. He was pretty upset. Um, oh, okay, let's start in verse 7. 13.7, this is Nehemiah, and came, he came to Jerusalem, and I then discovered the evil that Elishib, whatever that guy's name is, had done for Tobiah in preparing him the chamber in the courts of the house of God, and I was very angry, and I threw all the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chamber. Then I gave orders that they cleanse the chambers, and I brought back their vessels of the house of God with the grain offerings and the frankincense. Uh, verse 10, this is Nehemiah 13.10, I I also found out that the portions of the Levites, you guys know who the Levites are? It's the priests. It's those who do the operation of the temple, of the church. I also found out that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them so that the Levites and the singers who did the work had fled each to his field. So I confronted the officials and said, why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their stations. Then all Judah, that's the whole nation, brought the tithe of the grain, wine, and oil into the storehouse. And I appointed a treasurer over the storehouse. There's some guy's name I can't pronounce. The priest of Zodok and scribe and Padiah of the Levites. And as their assistants, Hanan, the son of Zakur, son of yeah. They were reliable. He put them in place, and their job was to give. I'll get that later. Their job was to their job was to distribute what came into the temple to those that worked it. Okay, so I want you. This is the part that the Lord showed me, and it says, "When I found out that the portions of the Levites had not been given them, so that the Levites and the singers who did the work had fled each into his field." Field. That's what he told me. He said, if you don't start, because I'm not saying my heart was wrong on this field. That's what he told me. He said, if you don't start, because I'm not saying my heart was wrong on this, start, because I'm not saying my heart was wrong on this, but I just, I didn't, it is not my heart to take from anyone. And, my, and I'm, telling, I'm, I'm standing here repenting before you and saying, I, I, for myself, I, I, that, wanted, that was like the last thing I had the vision for. Because I wanted the church to be healthy. I wanted us to be able to, to travel when we were supposed to travel. I wanted to be able to help people when they needed help. You understand? It's not that I was thinking less of me. I just, it was not on my radar at all. Thank you, brother. That's fine. And so the Lord said, Mike, if you don't start receiving from the house, you'll have to go back to the field. And I 
That's not what I'm supposed to do. Do you guys me to go want to go? Do you guys want me to go back to working full time? I don't want to do that. Not because I'm not. I'm afraid of it. I'm actually good at it. I'm a very good worker. I've been very successful in in professional fields, both in corporate and private businesses. I've I've traveled. I've worked for massive corporations. I've worked for small mom and pop businesses. I'm I'm the Lord has blessed me in my ability and skill to work. I'm not afraid of it. However, the Lord corrected me on that, and He said, if you don't start receiving from the house receiving from the church, you'll have to go back to the field. And so as a board, we met together last week, I want to say, or the week before, I'm not sure when it was, and we agreed upon, and so Becky and I are not taking a salary, but what we are going to do is to take a small housing allowance. That makes sense? So basically the church will begin to help, and, and it doesn't, like, it's not like we have a choice. We don't just like get a check, and if I want to buy new shoes, I can buy new shoes. It goes from the church to paying for where we live. It'd be, it'd be a very similar thing. A lot of churches have parsonages. Does that make sense? It'd be the same thing, except for we don't, this church doesn't own a house. The pastors do, so it goes towards just that. The check goes from the church to that. It doesn't go like where Becky and I can spend it on whatever. I am perfectly fine for pastors to have salaries, and I believe one day we'll be at that point where we're fully supplied by the church because it's in Scripture. But for now, this is the step that the Lord took, told me to take. He, he told us to start taking other days off during the week to consecrate ourselves, to study more. So I'm, the Lord is calling me into more consecration and then supplying it. Does that make sense? So I just wanted to be forward and upfront with everyone because our project, the, the, what it needs to operate versus what comes in, it'll be increased ever so slightly. You'll still see a number compared to a number right? Because it's based off the dollar amount needed each week, if that makes sense. But I just wanted everyone to be aware, because I have said from this pulpit before, Becky and I don't take anything from the church, and we didn't. But now the Lord has instructed us as a household to begin receiving, because he said, I don't want you to go back into the field, Micah. I have ground for you to plow. I have harvest for you to have when it comes to your ministry. Does that make sense? You absolutely can't do both. And so my heart is to be honest and open with everyone. I, I actually don't have to tell you. You understand that? Like, as a church, we have a lot of freedoms, but that's not who I am. That's not the character I have, and that's not the character of God. So I just want everyone to know what is going on financially with this church. Actually, in January, I think it's January. I have to check the date. We have our Vision Sunday. We've, we had one last, our first one this year. We'll have another one in January, and we will actually go through what the church has spent money on from people we've been able to bless. Actually, amazing story. We actually were able to help send a missionary this week. Uh, a friend of mine was getting ready to go to Kenya. Kenya and he needed some money and the Lord put it on our hearts to give him the rest of the money. And it wasn't even that much. So as a church, we sow, we give, we support, we've bought equipment for people. A few years back, we actually bought a whole HVAC system for a lady. So like we are a giving church and I'm excited to show everyone those numbers um, at, at the beginning of the year. Does this sound okay? Is everyone in agreement that this is a good thing? I, I am too. And understand when you're sowing into this now, you have more things to claim. Because you're sowing into your pastors being taken care of. You're sowing into livelihood. You're sowing into homes. And if you're believing for it to come up in your living situation, you now are putting seed into the ground. And, and I want you to know how humbling it is for Becky and myself to receive this way. Because I know it is no small thing. And there's lots of places we could use this money. And for the Lord to say, I want you to take just a small, because it's not, it's really a small portion, honestly. Um, it's very humbling for me. Um, and, and understand, we, see, we receive it very, very graciously. And, and our, our job is to be as integral as possible 
with finances, with money. So we, from the bottom of our hearts, we, we, we say thank you to the congregation. Thank you to the Lord for, for being a part of that. Amen? Thank you. Um, all right, so you guys ready for some preaching? <laughs> uh, two people, great. All right, so we have, I'm not putting a time frame on this, but I'd like to try to get everyone out of here by noon, so we have about 30 minutes or so as the Holy Spirit directs. So would you guys just reach your hands out this way? I want to pray real quick, and then we'll get into the message. Father, I ask that you would give me the exact words you would have me say this morning as we prayed before service. Father, help me to speak what you want me to speak. Lord, think what I need to think and say what I need to say, Father, for this morning. I ask for open hearts and open minds. In the name of Jesus, amen. One more favor I have to ask of you is would be to do that. Open your heart open your mind and allow the Holy Spirit to speak through me. Pull on him. It doesn't do you any good to pull on me, but trust that the Lord would have a word for you. Say, this morning, God has a word for me. Let's say that again. Say, this morning, God has a word for me. Amen. So the last six weeks, as I referenced, we have been talking about identity through righteousness. Has anyone gotten anything out of this series so far? I know that I have. It's been amazing to see what is promised to us and what we get access to. Oh yeah, kids, you can go. Thank you. Uh, What we get access to um, through our citizenship. And I referenced this slightly this morning. So here's what I want to do. I kind of have, if there was going to be a subtitle of this message, it would be do you know who you are? Which is similar to this question I had this morning. It's kind of a, I feel the vein the Lord has me on this this week. Is do you know who you are? And what I mean by that is do you understand your position in the kingdom of heaven? Do you understand the position that God has given you? Have you ever worked at a job where you weren't really sure what your responsibilities were? You had a manager that maybe wasn't as... Um, assertive as others, and you it's very frustrating to work under those conditions, to, to not know what's expected of you, and they might get mad or upset because you didn't quite do something the right way, and you're like, I, I didn't even know that we did that. No one ever told me this. It's, it's a very frustrating. I had a job like this, and it was a very detail-oriented job where you had to handwrite some things and repeat it multiple times and numbers and letters start. And you were, <laughs> the job was to take measurements in inches and like half inches, convert it to decimals, do the math in decimals and convert it back to inches. And so it was, and you did this over and over again and you couldn't make mistakes. But there's a lot of thing about this job. They were still a young company that they weren't quite, we were kind of developing the process while doing the process. And we would order glass to be cut and tempered to specific meta specifications within an eighth of an inch and if it was off you would you would just lose that money because you can't use it so it was a high stress low reward job the lord i believe the lord put me in that position for a reason but there was a lot about working in this position that we just at, at the beginning we didn't exactly understand all the parameters we just didn't know what we didn't know and it's a very exhausting emotionally to operate that way to just not know what's expected of you to not know what, what you have access to, to not know if you can use specific things. And so when asking the question, do you know who you are, it's to understand how you can operate in this thing that we all call life. I realize that's a little bit cheesy, but that's, it was said, so we're going to go on from there. How do you operate? How do you be 
a Christian? How do you be righteous? We've been talking about how we can't do anything to become righteous. It was something already given to us by what Jesus Christ did. We said this too. We said you are no, you are just as much righteous as you are male or female. Righteousness isn't something we try to obtain. It is something that we are. It's not, it's not like the Holy Spirit where it's a gift that, we're, that we desire. Okay? It's not like it, it, it is literally we are, say I am, the righteousness of Christ. You stand here, I stand here before you as the righteousness of Christ. When you see me, you see the righteousness of Christ. We said this as well. The, the Bible says that we should put on the full armor of Christ and that the, there's a breastplate, breastplate of righteousness. And we said that you can't actually take the armor off. You just choose whether you do or don't use it. Right. I, and it's OK if every morning you get up and put the armor on. I understand that's good. You're operating in faith. But what I'm saying is the armor is something God's given to you. Now, you just choose whether or not you want to use it. You just choose and you can say you can choose whether or not you put it on. But what I'm saying is, is when you sin and mess up, you don't take the breastplate of righteousness off. You don't take the helmet of salvation off. You don't have to repent your way back into the armor. Does that make sense? It's something that God gave you as part of your identity through what Jesus Christ did on the cross. The word righteous means acting in accord with divine or moral law, free from guilt or sin. Say, I am free from guilt and sin. In Romans 8, verse 1, it says, therefore, there is now no. Actually, let's turn there. You guys have your Bibles? I might be rushing a little bit too quick because I'm trying to get you guys out of here on time, but we can take time with this, right? So Romans chapter 8. I know football games don't start till noon, so y'all can calm down. Y'all good. No worries. <laughs> Romans 8, verse 1. Okay, everyone there? London, you find it, babe? Romans 8, verse 1. It says, There is therefore now no. That's a lot of words to say zero. Now. There is therefore now no. Say no. no. Condemnation for, for those who are in Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Are you in Jesus Christ? So do you have condemnation? I want to show you something that I, that I received this weekend. When, when saying the word condemnation, what visual pops up into your mind? Shame. Perfect. Shame. What, what realm does shame operate in? Soul. Okay? Shame isn't a spiritual concept. It's not a physical concept. It's a soul, soul realm, right? In your feelings, you feel shame, okay? So it, the, this saying that there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ includes emotional shame. Does the Holy Spirit shame you? Let's try that again. Does the Holy Spirit shame you? What does the Holy Spirit do? Convicts. Hey, your mama said don't eat those cookies. Don't eat those cookies. Right? That's a very basic example, but it stands true. So the word condemnation, we think in the emotional realm, which you're right in thinking that. 
but it doesn't only include your emotions. Condemnation. Oh, man. <laughs> There's so much here. The condemnation means the act of condemning, the, the judicial act of declaring one guilty and dooming him to punishment. Okay? Condemning is the, the judicial act, so there's been a judgment. Okay? Judgment is not a negative word. Judgment means decision. You can have, for instance, a positive judgment. The judge can say, not guilty. That's good. <laughs> awesome. The judge can say, very guilty. That's not so good. Right? And then sentencing follows. But the word condemning is the judicial act of declaring one guilty. So you can say the word condemning and you could say the word guilty. Condemning, guilty, right? And dooming him to punishment. This is what, so Jesus Christ freed us from the, the judicial act of declaring one guilty and dooming him to punishment, which is, now if you, if you were declared guilty, I'm sure that you would feel shame about that. Well, this sucks. This feels bad. I don't want to be guilty. However, it also frees you of the sentencing that comes with being guilty. You understand? It's not just the feeling of guilt. It is the sentencing that he's freed you from. What, what is that? We actually talked about it this morning. It's Deuteronomy 28, 15 through 68. He has freed you from the curse of the law. We see, this, we see this when we were reading in Galatians. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law and saying, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who in Jesus Christ are the same thing. There is no, you have been freed from the judicial act of declaring one guilty and dooming him to punishment. Because he took that we actually, through our sin and our action, were declared guilty. The judgment has already happened. You are guilty. Hammer, you know, guilty. Condemned to death. Okay? That's what we were. We were, that's our, it's already, it was already a thing. Like, you don't have a choice now. That's, already, that's, how, that's how it was. You, the first time that you sinned, the condemnation and the sentence on your life was guilty, except Jesus Christ took that already. So in Romans 8, when it says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are where? So if you're not in Christ Jesus, what's the judgment for you? So those who don't know Jesus are still condemned to death. Because the wages of sin are what? For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Jesus Christ from the law of sin and death. That's, that's verse 2, Romans 8, 2. So when, when understanding our identity through righteousness, we need to understand who we are. What does that make us? What, what the Lord told me this morning, I said, Mike, I want you to set expectations. Okay, say set expectations. What if then we are convinced of our citizenship through righteousness, what can we see operating in our life? What is the expectation of living a righteous life? 
Because the word says you'll know people by their fruit. Amen? Okay. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Go ahead and turn there. Thank you, Lord. We need, the thing is, is, as I said this, I think the last time I was here, I said we need to be, the, word gave me, the Lord gave me the word convinced. We need to be convinced of this new identity. I feel like we're there. If you don't feel like you're there, we just did six weeks on it, and we already, did we already start posting it on the podcast? Yeah, so you can start listening, okay? And it would do us good to go back and listen to it. But, but God has created, through Jesus Christ, a citizenship standing in righteousness. I was talking about it this morning when it came to what does God want you to have. All of it pertains to this subject of what Jesus Christ did for you. Listen, would Jesus... Hear me out now. Listen, would Jesus Christ die only so that you didn't have to go to hell? Because that's, that's an incomplete salvation. You understand what I'm saying? It's good. I'm not trying to demean that. But do you believe that God's good enough that he would not only die for you, but that you wouldn't have to live like hell on earth until you get to meet Jesus? You understand? He, he did not die so that your soul only would be saved and that you would live in desolation and hurt here on earth. You understand? He is a far better God than that. Because he even said, he, he likened it to a, a natural father. Some of us have had good dads, some of us haven't had good dads. But even in their worst way, they still were better than letting someone live like hell. You understand what I'm saying? He says, how much better am I than your earthly father. You understand what I'm saying? So a good earthly father, if a child says, I'm hungry, well, I mean, unless they just ate, they want cheesecake. You know what I'm saying? Like there's, but what I'm saying is, if his son asks for bread, it says he's not going to give him a snake. He's going to give him food. And he says, how much better am I? So we need to be convinced that this is something that we have access to. It's part of our citizenship. Because he has made us righteous, right standing with the Father. He took the condemnation, the punishment of our sin, he took it. The damning of our souls, he took it so that we could be righteousness. He gave us his righteousness and took our unrighteousness, you might say. So we have to be convinced of this thing. I feel like that's what the last six weeks has been of us talking about this. So the the Lord said to me, in studying this out, he said, Micah, set expectations. I said, okay, Lord, well, what are the expectations? Because this, this isn't, I didn't come up with this, okay? This is just what the Lord showed me. So where did I tell you guys to go? Perfect. 2 Corinthians 5, did I give you a verse yet? Hey, look at that. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, there's that word again. If you see the word therefore, you know what you need to do? You need to find out what it's there for. You should go back a couple verses and read that. But we're going to start here. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Right? All who are in Christ, does that exclude anyone? Only those who are not in Christ. This does not pertain. And now, oh, man. In Christ does not mean born again. It does, but it's more than that. You understand what I'm saying? That's the starting point. In Christ 
if you study that out, depicts a personal, intimate relationship. Okay? In fellowship. In communion. In covenant. In, like, hanging out. Right? You, you could say that Becky and I have this relationship. Right? We know each other on a solical, on a spiritual, and on an intimate level, okay? We, we have this type of relationship. This is why the Bible constantly likens the relationship of the church to Jesus with that of a husband and a wife because it's the most intimate example we have in existence. You understand? It's, if there was a more intimate relationship than husband and wife, he would have used that as an example. You got it? So that word in Christ depicts a continual fellowship with the Father. The Word says those who are in continual fellowship with the Father are what? New creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So in setting the expectation, what should we see if we are righteous? We should see old things and we should see Old things, all things, old things, all things. We should see this evident in our life if we believe this. Now, everything in the Word is applied through by faith, right? Everything. We talked about that this morning. Without faith, it's what? Impossible. Because faith is the spiritual reaching out and laying hold of. The word faith means to expect with confidence, right? It's a sure thing. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The word hope means confident expectation. So faith is actually the substance that makes up confident expectation. You follow me? You understand? It is what, it is what creates a sure thing. It is a guarantee. If I pick up Ben and I let go of him, he will fall. Why? All you guys are thinking of me picking up Ben now. That might have been a good example. They're trying to figure out if I could do it or not. I can't. Yeah. Uh, if I were to drop Ben, he would fall because of the law of gravity. Right? It, it, we, 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 if he were to do anything other than that, it would freak us all out. We'd begin probably casting devils or running around and freaking out. It would be weird. Because we can expect with confidence that he will fall because of the law of gravity. Right? So the word faith means to expect with confidence. So everything that I'm talking about this morning has the implication of believing, choosing to believe that we will see this in our lives. So those who are in Jesus Christ, who have constant fellowship in relationship with him, they are what? A new creation. Say, I am a new creation. How? Through Jesus Christ. You had it right, Sue. It wasn't a trick question. Through Jesus Christ. If you are in him, it actually says this in John 15. If, you're, if you abide in me and I abide in you, I will take the parts of your life that don't bear fruit and remove them and cast them into the fire. I'll take the portions of your life that do bear fruit and I will prune them and trim them so that they bear much fruit. Many much, say many much fruit. Not just more fruit, much. Have you ever had much of a thing? It's more than you need. You understand? Much is more than you need. So if you are in Christ, you should see the evidence of much fruit. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So what, what, 
what expectation can we have? I'm going to be bold and I'm going to say some things this morning. Okay? Now, if you find yourself in the category of, well, I haven't got there yet, or is he picking on me, or that's not me, listen, I'm not, I don't know anyone's business. I'm just going to say some things, and, and it's, it's important for us to declare the word, the word, and everything else sub to it. You understand? The word is the word. Everything else is subpar. Your feelings, your emotions, your experiences, your livelihood, our feelings, our emotions, my feelings, none of that compares or can be above what the word says. Are we in agreement? Okay? Know that I love you. Okay? I'm doing all of this through love. I promise I'm not purposely trying to beat up. I'm not picking on anyone, but it's important as a church that we get this straight. Okay? Can we agree on that? In evident, in, in setting the expectation as in what can we expect from this relationship? As an individual, what should we see? We should see old things gone. Not, not, oh Jesus. <clears throat> okay, if you were to, okay, I'll, I'll use this as an example. I'll use this as an example. Thank you, Jesus. When God created the heavens and the earth, what did he use? Words. What Did anything exist before he spoke? No. It came up out of him. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. Was it new or was it old when it was created? No. Was there any blemishes in it? No. Was there any hurt in it? Was there any emotional pain? When he created, he made something new. Say new thing. So the sum total of your existence before Jesus isn't isn't something that you need necessarily. Hear me out. Let me finish this thought before you guys get mad at me. Isn't something that you have to get counseling for. Isn't something that you have to go through these emotional things. Yes, the Lord can lead you. He can give you guidance. Good godly counselors are amazing. God has used them in my life. But what I'm saying is the expectation is new. Say, I expect expect new. What, I, what I'm, I'm saying is because I don't, want you, I'm not, I don't want you to feel like I'm picking on you if you don't feel that now. That's, we're setting our expectation on the promise, on what Jesus said. So when God created a new thing, he didn't take old things and refurbish them and make them new is what I'm trying to say. You are not someone who was old. He he put you in the sink and washed you up a little bit and set you up. Have you ever had a new car? Brand spanking new. When I worked for Nielsen, the company, I picked up, they let me pick the color, the interior and the exterior of a Ford Fusion Sport. Okay, I picked it up. It had like 11 miles on it. I almost didn't want to touch anything. It was like there was, the, the paint was pristine. No one had even sat. It's been covered with this because it's new, unblemished. There's no, nothing's even touched that screen before because it's new, unblemished. There's no, nothing's even touched that screen before. It's been covered with this, touched that screen before. It's been covered with this plastic since it was created. You understand? God doesn't take the sum total of who you were, and refurbish you into who you are. You are now brand new. The stuff that was done to you before, the stuff that, the hurt, the pain, what you went through before, it's, it's it's destroyed because the new is now. You are not a sum total of your existence. You are new. 
Now, we don't always feel this way. One-third one of you is absolutely perfect. The spirit man. God has made the spirit man brand new, but he's given you the access because of what he did on the Christ for the physical and emotional man to line up with the spiritual man. You understand? We are a spirit. We live in this fleshly body and we have a soul, your mind, your will, and emotions. So if you are in Jesus Christ, you have no condemnation because the judgment for what you did was taken on the cross. And if you are in him in fellowship, you have been made new. Not, you have not been refurbished. You know you can go on Amazon and you can buy a certified refurbished electronics? And if you read the descriptions, it said, gone through proper testing. They had a professional go through it and make sure it was in like new condition. It was like new. It wasn't new, but it was like, it's, it's the closest you can get from being new. Okay? But Jesus didn't say, in him you are a refurbished creation. He didn't say, in him you are like, you're mostly new. Yeah, little, little squeaks when that hip moves. It's got a little, little bump. When it rains, you feel it in your knees. But everything else besides that is new. No, he didn't say that. He said, in him you are New, therefore there is now, say now, no condemnation, which means no curse of the law, which means everything that could be done to you in the negative, he died for, so you don't have to have access. You actually can say, I, I refuse that right. I, I refuse the damnation that comes with the curse of the law. I don't have to put up with it because the word says that in him, in fellowship with him, I have been made new, brand new, not refurbished, not washed, not rinsed, not cleansed, not cleansed, New. Say new. new. I am new. Too many times as believers, we make exceptions for those who have gone through a great deal of hurt and pain. Okay? Hear me out. Please hear me out. Let me finish this thought. In the empathy of our hearts, it is good to love on people, to be understanding to, to get good counseling, to get good word, to pray, to lay hands on. I, I am a believer in all of that. However, the expectation should be they should not stay there. They should not stay there. I am a believer in good, godly counseling. I'm a believer in Christian counselors. Can I tell you what I don't believe in? Christian counselors who have lifelong clients because the expectation is wrong. The, listen, the Holy Spirit is so good. He knows you where you are and he knows what to do. For instance, I know of good examples of where people had to get on a small dose of antidepressive medication and it was a net positive to them because God instructed them to do so. Okay. I, I am not a, an anti-medicine, anti-this. The reason why I say that is I'm not the Holy Spirit. P Paul said, when people came before Paul and said, hey, there's these people sacrificing food to these other gods. And they do this, but then some of that food makes it into the market. Is it okay for us to eat it? He didn't say yes or no. He said, what matters is you follow your conviction, your conscience. 
what the Holy Spirit tells you to do. I say all that to say, you be led for your life. The Holy Spirit is way smarter than me, and you all should thank God for that. That's a really good thing, that he's smarter than I am. He will lead you and guide you in your life. But what, I, what we're doing today is setting the expectation of what we should see come to fruition through our lives. We shouldn't be in the same place we were a year ago, six months ago. Lived experience God can use to give us wisdom and knowledge, but the weight and the pain that came through that lived experience cannot and should not stay in our lives. What I mean by this is when I got married to my wife, a lot of unseen things came with her. She's nodding her head very, very much right now, very much, because she understands the sum total of her relationships, of the men that she was with before, they were pretty terrible. Only one was okay. But most of them were awful and pretty abusive. I mean, I'm talking cheaters, liars, abusers, terrible people. Becky hadn't fully grasped this whole new, new creation thing. So when we got married, I actually married the weight that she had on her. You understand? I married Becky and the sum total of her experience. All the pain and hurt that she had in her life that she hadn't been healed from, I married that. And I was confronted with it right in the face, constantly. Because she was the sum total of her experience. She was living in, excuse me, the sum total of her experience as opposed to living in the new creation. Now, it, when we got this revelation, it wasn't just overnight, but it was quick. I'm talking months, not years. God turned our marriage around so once we got good, godly, Holy Spirit-filled counsel, got, saw some things that we needed to see, went through the process of forgiving, and, and she, literally, she literally forgave, she literally gifted the portion of her life to those exes. She said, I don't need that. You don't owe me anything. I forgive you. I, I repent for holding you accountable for something you didn't know. See, that's the thing. Most of the time, the hurt that you have in your heart, you're holding someone accountable when they don't know any better. You're saying, I deserved better. You should know to treat me better. You shouldn't have done me that way. They didn't know. Either because they were ignorant or, hey, they could have been inspired by the enemy. People, people receive the enemy all the time. They operate through the devils. People are used by the enemy far more than we think that they are. And we, we expect them to know better because we deserve better, right? You're wrong. They are operating in the understanding you have. And sometimes that understanding is demonic. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes that understanding is evil. And things get done to us and through us and on us. And what I'm saying is, I, I understand I've had these things happen to me. However, my word says, if we are in him, in relationship with him, we are new. The person that that stuff happened to, that guy doesn't exist anymore. That woman doesn't exist anymore. Micah, I don't always feel that way. I un great, I understand. So what are your sights on? This is why I said we're setting expectations. I'm not asking for transformation. God's not even asking for transformation. He said he would do it. But our faith is where we set our expectations. Our faith is what we see, our, what we put our sights on, understanding that this is the promise of God. That I don't have to be the sum total of my experience. I can be a new creation. I can be made brand new. I don't have to live. 
I promise I'm trying to be gentle. I promise you, okay? The world has evil people in it that do evil. I understand that people can get taken advantage of as a young age. Evil people doing evil things. Am I being clear enough for all of us to understand what I'm talking about here? Sexual sin is is an enemy, a tool that the enemy uses all the time because it's not only it's it's something that God designed in covenant, so he attacks it directly. And when he gets people messed up, whether they were attacked when they were kids or they've been in bad or poor relationships, it can cause a schism in their soul that he will constantly attack their entire life and render them useless. This is why the enemy uses it all of the time because sexual sin is a sin against yourself. Understand? So he uses it all the time. So the reason why I'm trying to be gentle here is because I don't want anyone to think that I'm not, that I'm being callous to the weight that that, that that can happen. I understand that, okay? I've been around, worked with, and know lots of people who have gone through some terrible things, okay? When I was a very young age, I was exposed to some things that had messed me up for a lot of years, okay? I didn't have anything physically done to me, but I was exposed to things on accident at a young age. I'm trying to talk a little bit vague here because most of us are adults. But I was exposed to some imagery, I'll say that, at a very, very young age, and it messed me up for years. It's something that I had dealt with far into my adulthood, understand. And that's simply by seeing something ungodly. You got what I'm saying? So, so I say all that to say I understand the weight that something like this can carry. But as believers, and especially as a family, what are we setting our expectation on as far as how we can be? As a, as a pastor over this house, I am absolutely okay with my wife going in the room and talking about some things. But what I w- will expect from you, what I want to hear from you is you telling me where you expect to be. Does that make sense? Because faith is, is pur- purposeful. It's going somewhere. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a vision of who God made me. I may not see the evidence of that in my life now, but I know what he promised me. And I'm going to walk in faith and lay hold to that promise because I understand that God has a plan and purpose for my life and where I am now is not that. Do, has, have any of you felt like you've walked in the full promise of God yet? Anyone there? Any hands raised? Okay, so we all know, I keep on dropping, we need things to hold stuff around here. I keep on... I, so you understand that we have somewhere to go, right? You understand that we have a goal, not that we've set on ourselves, that God has put a purpose and a plan for our lives. We've seen this in the scripture. So what's our expectation? What do we expect to see? I expect that as a church, we are a new creation. When I say when people come into this building, they leave different. That's an expectation that I have. Micah, how can you have that expectation? Because God promised it. And as a church, as a church body, we corporately should have the expectation when hurt, damned, poor, sad people walk into this building, they'll leave different. Sick people can't help sick people. You understand what I'm saying? At least not well. Maybe you can do a little something. Healed and whole people 
who know how they got healed and whole, who went through the process of being a new creation, can testify to those who need it. This is why we are supposed to share our testimony. I was one way. I met God. I am different. He is no respecter of persons. He will do the same for you as he did for me. I understand, honey, that you've been through some bad things. I understand that you've been abused and hurt and, and beat up your whole entire life. But praise God, once you meet him and get into him, the person that that stuff happened to literally dies. They're gone. The person you stands before us today, nothing bad has ever happened to them. There is no emotional damage. There is no hurt. There is no pain. They are new standing in the righteousness that God has afforded them by sending his son on the cross to die for it. He did not die for an incomplete salvation. He wouldn't do that. He's so much better than that. He's not going to die so you can go to heaven but live like hell while you're here in emotional toil, in hurt and pain, being kept up at night, not being able to sleep, in depression and anxiety. And if that's where you are now, that's okay. But understand your expectation has to be for something better. He has is, he is died so that we don't have to live where we were. We don't have to be that guy, that girl that was abused, that was hurt, that was, that was taken advantage of, that was, that was desolate, that was... Oh, that, that, you don't have to be that. You can be the thing that God made you. And your expectation needs to be, who does God say that I am? What did he tell me that I could have access to? Who does he say that I am? What does he think about me? At the beginning, I said if we were going to put a subtitle on this message is, do you know who you are? In managing expectations, or let me rephrase that. In setting expectations, our eyes can't be any lower than who God says that we are. Because if it's anything less than that, your sights are way too low. You're not going to become any better or any more improved than where you are now. Early on in this series, I talked about sometimes we get too much into self-help books and trying to save ourselves and help ourselves. And I understand that there's a purpose and a plan for that, but you get into idolatry because you become a worshiper of yourself and you become the power behind instigating the change that you so desire. See, the thing is, the desire you have in your heart to become better than who you are was placed there by your creator. In fact, you have a knowledge and understanding of the purpose that God has promised you. It, he said he would write it in your heart. Would you like to know where that's at? Can I give you one more scripture? Did I write this down wrong? It's possible I wrote it down wrong. I wrote, had so many notes. Give me a second here to find it. Ah. Okay, I think that's right. Let me just double check that I wrote this. I have notes in this. I have notes in this. I have notes in this. Let me just check this. I think, I think we're going to Hebrews. So if you guys had that direction. Yeah, Hebrews 8. Yeah, yeah. That's exact. Did I already say that? Okay, good. You just were picking up what the Holy Spirit was putting down. Hebrews 8. Yeah, that's right. Thank you, Lord. And Ben. <laughs> All right, Hebrews 8. Verse 8, behold, <clears throat> behold, the days are coming, declares who? The Lord. When I will establish a new covenant 
with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. You understand that means us, right? Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and, I sh and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will, say I will. I will. You should mark every time the Lord says I will here. That I will make with the house of Israel. Say that's me. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. That's two places. Remember I said one-third of you is perfect? That's the spirit? This is, this is the word heart he's talking here. That's the spirit, man. But he said minds. That's the soulical realm. This is the understand. There's, there's something inside me that tells me I'm meant for more of this. There's an internal drive people have who are ungodly. There's, there's an internal, okay. Morality outside of Christianity exists. Now it's perverted, but it exists. How, how does an atheist know to walk an old lady across the road? Because it's written inside of them. You understand? He said that I would write it on their hearts and minds. There's, it's, a, it's a perverted version of it, but morality exists in humanity because God instilled it in such. You understand? I will put my laws into their minds and write, write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his, they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. Say all. From the least of them to the greatest, I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. The, this, is, this is him talking about the covenant he's bringing to us through what Jesus Christ did. So what is your expectation? What do you expect to see in your life? Do you expect to stay where you are, coping with depression and anxiety, with the pain and suffering that we go through on a day-to-day -day basis, and understand that I'm not saying we're anything less than because we go through these things. There's a long time that I used to have a really bad issue like sleeping and fearful, and I was talking to someone about it and like, yeah, that's, I'm pretty sure that's anxiety. I was like, I don't have anxiety. I, I did. I was dealing with anxiety, okay? I, I, re, I refused to believe it partially because I'm stubborn and partially because I thought, well, that's not for me. That's for other people have anxiety. I don't, Micah doesn't have anxiety. Other people do. I was dealing with anxiety. But what, what, I, what, I, what I begin to understand is in this relationship with Jesus is you may be dealing with something, but it's not who you are. It's not who God made you. And you have absolute right to say that. In fact, you should. You should speak. That, that's part of setting expectation. Is one, reading the word and what God says about you. Reading the Old Testament and the New Testament. The New Testament writers are writing with the expectation that you know your Old Testament. 
Understand that. It, it's not old book versus new book. That's not what this is. You need to read both. I'll give you this little tidbit. I learned this this weekend. That was kind of awesome. When Jesus was tempted by the enemy, do you know what book he used to combat the lies of the enemy? You know what book in the Old Testament? Deuteronomy. Everything he said to combat the devil was out of the book of Deuteronomy. Kind of a little, Jarrell Cummings brought that out, and I thought that was pretty, pretty interesting. Maybe there's something in Deuteronomy we need to read. Just saying. If that's, if that's what the Lord Jesus Christ used to defend it, hold on, hold on. If that's what he used, we should maybe read the book of Deuteronomy. What, what, I'm, what I'm getting at here is that in understanding who we're supposed to be, it is found in his words. It is found in what he said. It is found in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And if you are trying to live as a, as a believer in relationship with him, without reading the book that defines those parameters, you will end up being the very Christian that you despise. You understand? Now, I'm not saying it's okay to despise Christians, but have you ever heard, say, ever, heard, ever, heard, ever heard anyone say, I don't like Christians, they're all hypocrites. And you go, he's kind of right. It's because they're living in a version of Christianity without substance. You understand? So in setting the expectations of your life, it shouldn't be found in, in someone's 12-step guide, even if they're a godly person. It shouldn't be found in someone's self-help book or motivational speakers. I actually played a game. Sometimes I send the worship team. It's called pastor or motivational speaker. And I'll just send them a 12-second clip, and they have to guess whether they're a pastor or a motivational speaker. And it's really sad in today's date that they sound a lot alike. I'm not coming against any ministry. I'm just saying the word should be the word. And it, and it is sharp, like a two-edged sword. And it pierces the what? That doesn't sound nice. You understand? Do you want your soul to be pierced? Does that sound like a good time? Becky and I uh, rewatched The Hobbit, and uh, and there's a lot of sword fighting, right? You know, that's my action for sword fighting. And in the end of the last movie, he, uh, the primary antagonist, and the king get in this big battle. As I, I didn't need to know their names, but thank you. <laughs> primary antagonist worked just fine, Ben for those of you who have not seen Lord of the Rings. But he, he stabs him, and then he ends up fully thrusting the sword through it. He was pierced physically, right? So it's, it's an uncomfortable thing. I can't, I've never been severely stabbed. I've been lightly stabbed on accident, on, on jobs. I realize the term lightly stabbed sounds bad, but it has happened. <laughs> Just a little light stabbing. That's all it is. There's some light stabbing. Uh, but, but piercing the soul does not sound like a comfortable thing. This is why I said we have to read the word and we have to agree on it is absolute truth. Within context, it, it is truth. Okay, don't, 
pick and pull words that you want. It, it, there's a lot of stuff in Romans that a lot of people don't like, and a lot of churches do not teach out of the book of Romans because of how poignant it is on certain subjects. You understand? So the word has to be the word. But we can't look at those churches and say, well, they're accepting this type of sin and they're accepting this thing while ignoring how we're supposed to be new creations. While trying to validate, well, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what's been done to me. Well, then you lack revelation of how good God really is. And how you gain that revelation is understanding this book by building yourself, in, building yourself up in the most holy faith by praying in the Spirit. Do you understand, I read this before, that that the promise was given to us, the promise of the Holy Spirit was given to us, it's in Galatians 3, the end of 14, so that we may receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Do you understand when you pray in the Spirit, you are actually praying out the perfectness that God has designed for you? I don't think that landed. When you pray in the Spirit, you are praying the perfected man over the imperfected one. Do you understand? The one-third of you that is perfect is desiring to walk in that perfection through the scripture that we've just read. You can attain that by praying in the Spirit because you are praying God's perfectness, His perfect will over your life. Reading the Word and praying in the Spirit. Read the Word and pray in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit, then read the Word. They both need to be done in tandem. I'll give you an example of this, then I think we can close. Before I met Becky, I've shared this story before, but it bears repetition. Before I met Becky, I had graduated out of youth for like the third or fourth time, and Miss Villa said, this is it. This is really Micah's last time. He's not coming back. And I was driving away, and I said, Lord, I'm not sure what's next for me, but I believe, I, I think I'm ready to be in a relationship. If not... Help me. And then I didn't think about it again. About a month later, I would come home from work. I would play. I was a bachelor. My life was work at Panera, play Halo 3, and go to church. That was my whole, it was pretty good existence, honestly. I didn't really have to worry about much. Didn't really have to do a whole lot. Make sandwiches at Panera, play Halo 3, and go to church. It was, I was living the life, okay? Uh, my routine was come home. I worked 4 in the morning to 1 in the afternoon. Come home, I'd take a shower, and I'd play Halo 3 until my roommates got home at 5.30. And then we would do whatever. Who knows? Usually play video games, honestly. <laughs> a lot of video games in that time of my life. Um, it kept me out of trouble. Better than going clubbing, I guess. But, uh, but the Lord said, after you take a shower, instead of playing video games, I want you to read a chapter of Proverbs and a chapter of Hebrews, and I want you to pray in the Spirit for a minimum of 30 minutes. Every day. That's what he told me to do. I said, okay, I can do that. So I'd read a chapter of Proverbs, I'd read a chapter of Hebrews, and I'd pray in the Spirit for a minimum of 30 minutes every day. That was my routine. Work, get up at 3.30, go to work, be at work from 4 until 1 or 2, come home, take a shower, read a chapter of Proverbs, read a chapter of Hebrews, pray in the Spirit, and then go play video games. That was my whole routine, right? Until I met Becky. I met Becky on December 28th of 2008. And my heart leaped inside of my chest, now knowing that it was because I had met my wife. I wasn't so sure then, but I found out very shortly after. I mean, those well, people in this room who know me knew that it was just Becky was a friend, and then I was married to her. Like, it was pretty quick. It was eight months in total from the time I met her to the time I married her. But in the four, in, in, in shortly after us meeting each other and her moving here, she be, she, her heart was desired to come out of these awful situations that I told you about earlier. So she began to ask questions. See, we would just be riding in the car, going from one thing to another, going to someone's house. We spent a lot of time at other friends' house at this time. 
And she would ask a question. And up out of my spirit came the answer. Because I had spent time meditating in both Proverbs and Hebrews and praying in the spirit. So I want you to get a hold of this. God was preparing me to prepare Becky so I could marry her. You understand that? God was preparing me to prepare Becky so that she would be ready to be my wife. And we still had to go through stuff after that. Now, I realize that that's an intense statement that only came from reading the word and praying in the spirit. That's it. If I, I don't know what would have happened if I did not listen to the Lord there. I honestly don't. And I don't like thinking about it. Because my life outside of Becky would be, I'd probably still be playing video games, honestly. It's probably what I'd be doing. It's, it probably would be it, playing Halo or something like that. What I'm saying is if, you, if, you, if you're in, in setting the expectations for what God has for your life and then desiring to walk in those expectations, it comes out of those two things. Read the Word, pray in the Spirit. Read the Word, pray in the Spirit. Say, read the Word, pray in the Spirit. Say, pray in the Spirit, read the Word. Say, read the word, pray in the spirit. This should, this should be, remember how I said I had a routine? I went to work, I came home, I showered, I play Halo, right? That was my routine. This should be part of your routine. I'm not saying be religious about it. I'm not saying get in condemnation if you miss a day or something like that. But what I'm saying, if your desire to walk in these new set expectations, it only comes through true transformation, which comes from? And? It comes from? Reading the word, praying in the spirit. Read the word, praying the spirit. I desire to be something better than I am now. Great, so does God. And he figured it out for you. And you do it by reading the word and praying the spirit. Amen? All right, you guys can stand up. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tanny Love Church podcast. For more information about us, visit us online at www.tannylovechurch.com. And you can also check us out on social media, on Instagram and Facebook.